Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you and good to celebrate parenthood and all of this mess that we get to participate in, right? Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? And as Pastor Doug said, you know, sometimes we find ourselves not only parenting when kids are young, but as we become grandparents even. A few years ago, to kind of push that point just a a little further, a few years ago, our now 27-year-old son gave us a refrigerator magnet. And on that refrigerator magnet, it said, it's the first 40 years of parenting that's the most difficult. (laughs) That still sits on the refrigerator because it's still true. So you never know, right? So um, whether we're literally parenting little ones or teenagers or maybe we're grandparents or maybe we're aunts and uncles, our hope and uh, desire is that this worship series called Bless This Mess will be a help to us uh, because each one of us has influence over kids, whether they're our our own biological or whether we have some kind of sway in their own lives. And there are really true times that it feels like a mess, doesn't it? It feels like we're overwhelmed sometimes. It feels like we're uninformed. It feels like we're ill-equipped. It feels as though some things are happening that we have no clue or understanding about, right? And so it feels often like it's a little bit of a mess. And so our desire is to try to help offer some insight, some, some assistance from time to time, and hopefully it will help you or someone you know. Now, I also need to make this disclaimer, even though I'm a parent of two, a 27-year-old and a 19-year-old, I am clearly no expert, nor would anybody else who stands up here claim to be an expert. We simply want to hopefully point to God's Word and to God's ways, and hopefully we'll find some guidance there, some help there, some encouragement there uh, to help direct us. And what better place to start talking about parenting and this blessing of this mess than with discipline, right? We're going to start with discipline, how it is that we offer discipline in the household, because that's what most parents have the most fun with, right? Discipline, how to raise our kids. So we're going to start there and move about over the next several weeks. And in order for us to do that, I just want to lay out a little bit of my life history so that you know the kind of discipline that I grew up with, because um, some of you grew up with this same kind of discipline and you get it. My dad was strict. Mom was too, but dad was much more strict. Dad was about 350 pounds, six foot one, and he swung an aerodynamically created paddle, right? He drilled holes in that paddle so that it would go faster in the swing, right? And he had a rule around the house that if I got in trouble or we got in trouble at school, i.e. paddling, because you know, swats were still legal in school then, right? Yeah, thank you very much. When you got a swatting at school, you would get one at home. That was the rule around the house. So I remember in first grade, because I was a slow starter, I got swats at school in first grade. Way to go, Daniel, for doing something really stupid, right? Well, of course, the school notified Dad, and when when I got home, Dad called me, and he had a home office, called me into his office, said, son, did you get in trouble? Uh, uh, yeah. He said, well, I need you to bend over and grab your ankles and get ready for the paddle. And I swear to you, he said four in the middle of the swing. (laughs) That's the kind of father I had, right? Just kind of lift you. And you got lifted up with the paddling, right? That's just the kind of way it went. And I remember very early on that this was, I was the youngest of four children. So I'm the spoiled rotten brat in the household, right? And the older two siblings got it even worse than we did, the younger two siblings. And one of my earliest memories of dad's discipline was this. My sister, who was about 14 at the time, I was roughly five or six at the time, 
Um, she'd done something that a teenager, you know, shouldn't do, and, and which is about every other decision that a teenager makes, right? She'd done something silly, and she got grounded. Well, that was pretty typical. I mean, we get grounded, right? That's how that works. But my sister didn't get grounded from social media because, of course, that didn't exist back then. She didn't get grounded from her phone because, of course, that didn't exist back then. She didn't get, even get grounded just from her friends or just from uh, socializing with her friends. She got grounded for her, to her room for 30 days. That was her grounding. We didn't see my sister for 30 days. And I remember thinking at age five or six, oh my gosh, this is the kind of thing I get to look forward to. That's the kind of discipline that I grew up with. I bet some of you grew up with that very same form of discipline. Even my friends, you can ask Kay, Kay and I grew up together. Even my friends uh, are, were afraid of my dad. I mean, that's how strict he was, right? This is the kind of place that I grew up in and the kind of discipline I grew up with. And I believed for years that discipline meant punishment met out for wrong behavior. I mean, isn't that what it is? Punishment meted out for wrong behavior. It wasn't until I was an adult that I kind of thought, my golly, I'm not 100% sure that's what this is about. I'm not, I'm not certain that that's all discipline ought to be. And so as I began to go to college and go to seminary and I began to read and I began to discover, I think there might be something more to discipline than simply punishment meted out for bad behavior. Now, don't get me wrong, we need rules, we need regulations, we, we need ramifications and consequences, right? I hope we would all agree to that. But I think discipline in and of itself is different than that and has a better and higher calling and purpose to it than simply punishment meted out for bad behavior. In fact, I happen to believe that discipline can be a very positive, very helpful, very holistic kind of understanding of how we help our children our teenagers, our grandchildren reach mature adulthood. And we've got Scripture to rely on here. You know, in all of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, there's some great passages in Scripture that sort of point us to discipline and the ways in which it can work. And I want to look uh, today most commonly at the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. It's a fascinating book unlike any other uh, of its kind. It's called Hebrews because it kind of helps bridge the gap between Hebrew Scripture and the Christian Scripture and what all of that Hebrew Scripture was trying to point to for Jesus' sake. And so it's a great book. I highly recommend it. It's a fascinating read. And today we're going to be in chapter 12 where the writer of Hebrews is trying to help identify the positive and powerful way that discipline can help raise us. In particular, the Hebrew writer is going to talk about how God's disciplining of us, his followers, can be a positive and helpful thing. This is the way it looks. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? And here the next two verses are going to be from the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom in the Old Testament. He said, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you for the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as He does all His children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really His children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits 
and really live. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best that they knew how, and that's a mantra we all need to claim as parents. We do the best we know how. I want you to claim that for your own life. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who were trained in this way. And it's there that I want to kind of hang my hat this morning on the, this last sentence. But afterward, after this discipline, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You see, God's discipline becomes a powerful output for how we live in relationship to God. That's what Hebrews, the author, is saying. That when God disciplines us, the whole purpose and point is to develop our relationship with God and to therefore develop an understanding of our greater being, the way in which we come into adulthood and the way in which we become faithful followers of God. That's the purpose. And a part of what I begin to glean from this is that it's hopeful and helpful, discipline is. It's not spiteful and punitive. It's a way to move forward with our children or our grandchildren. In fact, let me just kind of give you what I would call a description of this kind of discipline. In this understanding that the Hebrews writer just wrote about, uh, I believe discipline then becomes this. It is training and correction driven by love. I want you to chew on that just for a minute. Discipline, I believe, according to Scripture, is training and correction motivated or driven by love. In fact, when it's driven by love, as all things that God does is driven by love, it changes everything. It changes how we interface. It changes how we think. It changes how we understand that if indeed this training and correction is driven by love, it will take on a different face. It will take on a different purpose. It will help the child or the teenager or the young adult or the grandchild to be trained and corrected in God's love, by God's love, and for God's love in the world. I don't know about you, but that's not exactly how I was raised. I was raised with a punitive issue every single time to correct wrong behavior. Now, again, I'm not poo-pooing clear boundaries and clear understandings of how we ought to live, but I do think discipline is a unique thing here. I think there's a reason that the word disciple, followers of Jesus, is at the same root as discipline. They literally have the same root, the same basis point, the same concept. They are for learning. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a learner of His ways. I'm a follower of His will. I grow in understanding and knowledge of who He is. And therefore, discipline has the same concept. When I am disciplined in a sporting event or in a musical endeavor or in a theater endeavor or any other format, when I am disciplined... It means I'm committed to the cause of becoming better, that I want to grow my understanding, right? That's what this discipline is, training and correction driven by love. 
Tim Kimmel, who's an author of a book I'm going to highlight in just a minute, uh, goes one step further and says that this, this training and correction motivated by love ha- has a specific goal in mind, and that goal is to create dependence on God rather than our parents. Because really, when you think about it, isn't our parental role to raise our children up so that they can then become independent, right? They're no longer dependent on us. It's the hardest thing any parent has to do, right? We know it's our job. We know that as we raise our two and our six and our eight and our 12 and our 15 and our 18-year-old that we're helping create a trajectory for them for independence. That's a good thing. But as followers of Christ, as people of God, we want ourselves and our children to become fully dependent on God, right? God's will, God's ways, God's kingdom, God's desire. That's our goal as followers of Christ. And so this discipline, training and correction driven by love, is to help guide that process to become real, to help our children become fully reliant on God rather than our ways. Now, some of you know a guy named Josh McDowell, right? Josh wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict back in the 70s. He's evangelist. He's now 83 years old. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, I grew up knowing him and reading his stuff and uh, an amazing guy. And he says this about uh, discipline, and you've got to know this is real, right? Josh McDowell says, rules without relationship leads to rebellion, right? That was my oldest brother. My oldest brother's almost 10 years older than me, and he has an August birthday. So he, he graduated from high school at age six, uh, 17. And so um, my dad was full of rules. I just told you that. He, had a, he swung a mean uh, paddle, and everything was clear, and there was no un- misunderstanding, and there was very little relationship. Now, my dad I love to death, and I cherish him, but uh, he was much more about rules than relationship. And guess what my brother did at age 17? Because rules without relationship leads to rebellion. He moved out. He wanted nothing more to do with my father. And for almost a decade, he did. Had nothing to do with my father. Because this statement is real. We need rules. We need boundaries. But we also need relationship and kinship and connection. And that's what helps make discipline, training, and correction driven by love. Tim Kimmel, who is the author of this book, puts it quite literally just the opposite when he says this, relationship without rules leads to resentment. If you're all my buddy and raising me and you're my friend as my parent, but there are no rules, guess what happens to me when I become an adult where there are rules and there are boundaries? I resent you because you didn't help prepare me. I love you to death, and I'm glad we had that connection and that relationship, but man, you didn't help me at all, right? Relationship without rules leads to resentment. Kimmel is the author of a book called uh, uh, Grace-Based Parenting, and we advocate this book for you and sure want to encourage you to purchase it. We've used it before in previous studies, uh, and it's an amazing faith-based understanding of how to raise children, even grandchildren, and the uh, many things that I'll share today come out of this book. So I want to highly recommend grace-based parenting. But the gift that Kimmel and others provide for us and the, the author of the book of Hebrews is that discipline is actually a growth opportunity. It's a formating kind of opportunity. I'm going to formate my child. I'm going to help, help them to become an adult. 
And it's not just about how can I nip this behavior in the bud? How can I stop this uh, attitude from continuing, right? We've all been there. We all know that that happens a lot. I'm going to talk a little bit about those behaviors as well as some other behaviors in discipline that I hope will guide us into this growth opportunity that I believe God really intend, intended from the very beginning. So let me start with um, disciplines that are sort of um, deniers. They, they don't help. They're not about providing a growth opportunity. They're really about stopping things. And so uh, discipline deniers are really those things that can stifle the positive impact and import of discipline. You know, the Apostle Paul was very clear about straightforward behavior and kind of how we ought to live. And I, I love the way Paul put it when he wrote to uh, the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6. He just said, look, as for parents, uh, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. When we live into these discipline deniers that are much like creating the resentment or the, um, uh, the rebellion... This is exactly what happens. We, we drive our children away or we drive the relationship uh, into the ground. And our goal in discipline is to train and correct driven by love, right? So let me uh, address some of these discipline deniers first. The first one is often referred to as helicopter discipline. Now, there's a whole cottage industry about helicopter parenting. You've heard of that, right? You know the difference between an airplane and a helicopter is an airplane has to remain in constant motion, but a helicopter can hover, right? And helicopter parents are those kinds of parents who hover over their kids. And in particular, when it comes to discipline, hover, helicopter parents just kind of always uh, sweep off whatever the discipline is, or, or they kind of prevent it maybe even from needing to happen, or they, they hover over every circumstance. If there's an educator in the room, you know exactly who the helicopter parents are, don't you? Yeah, there's a bunch of head shaking going on. Helicopter parenting does nothing but always rescue, right? Always save, always prevent anything from going wrong. And guess what that leads to, to a child who grows into adulthood? stress and anxiety because somebody always took care of this for me. Somebody always did it for me. Somebody always eradicated the problem. I never had to learn. I never had to stretch. I never had to grow. I never had to discover because a helicopter parent just kind of always erased it away, right? We don't want to do that. Uh, that's not helpful. Parents, every once in a while, our kids need to fail, right? Or they need to learn a hard life lesson, right? So part of our wisdom and insight as parents is to discover what is that which should not be that kind of a lesson. It's, it's literally fatal or, or detrimental or harmful versus, golly, I know this is going to cause a little bit of pain or a little bit of sorrow or a little bit of tension or a little bit of struggle, but it will help in the long run. That would be the intended goal. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. We do not want to be a helicopter uh, a disciplinarian. The second thing that we don't want to be is a yo-yo disciplinarian. This is kind of funny. Yo-yo just means that we're inconsistent. The most common way that this happens is mom and dads are on two different wavelengths about how we discipline. Either mom's more stringent and dad's less, or, or uh, mom has a different philosophy than dad or whatever. That's the most common way that this happens. We, and, and kids don't know uh, what, what to expect. And in fact, you know this, if, you, if you've lived in a household where this is true, uh, the kid learns quickly who to go to, right? 
because they know which one is going to be easier or which one's going to be lighter. But even if they don't, they struggle with understanding what is right behavior because sometimes this is and sometimes this is not, right? And the yo-yoing creates confusion. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm supposed to act. I don't know how this works, right? And that confusion often leads to poor decision-making and poor choices, and therefore we don't want to do that. Now, the third discipline denier is the one I was most guilty of in our household, and it's the one that leads to yo-yoing, okay? So this is a precursor, uh, and it's not helpful. I simply refer to it as in the moment. You, you know the moment, right? It's when the kids did something wrong, and you weren't prepared for it, and you blow your stack because it is clearly not what you expected, not what you wanted, not what anybody knew would happen, right? How could you do this? Why would you do that? Why did this happen, right? And we blow our stack. I blew my stack a million times with our oldest, only about a thousand with our younger. But it's in the moment when we've not prepared ourselves or our relationship, where we've not prepared what might come, and therefore we have no way to know how we're going to respond. And what we tend to do is we respond in anger, right? in the moment creates a heated set of circumstances, and it literally causes uh, uh, the person not to understand where we are and why I exist and why don't you love me, mom and dad, because you're always heated and in the moment. What I want to suggest, moms and dads, is that um, while we clearly can't cover every topic or every, be prepared for every set of circumstances, that maybe we look at some of the global issues and we agree ahead of time. Here's how we're going to respond. Here's what we're going to do. And we talk about values, right? And we talk about character building and we talk about things that help grow, train, and correct our children in love. And that way we are prepared when they steal or when they do drugs or when they uh, don't show up for school or whatever the case may be, we're more prepared rather than simply living in the moment. It's never helpful. I can't tell you how many times I did something or said something of which I'm deeply ashamed because I allowed myself to discipline in the moment. Almost every time you will regret it. So my prayer for all of us is, is that we step away from these dis discipline deniers, yo-yoing, helicoptering, and in the moment. Now, the book of Proverbs is full of some great wisdom, and I want to talk about that uh, in what I call discipline developers. Discipline developers are those things that help utilize tools that will help us, uh, help us help our children become more dependent on God. Because that's our goal, right? Independence from us, independence in adulthood, but dependence on God. Because God's the only one who can get us through this stuff, and God's the only one who can help guide our every thought and every deed, whether we make good choices or bad choices, right? So we want to move our children from dependence on us to dependence on God, and these disciplined developers will help that. Proverbs is this wisdom book that has great insights, right? And every once in a while, there's, a, there's an insight about discipline. And it's very pithy, but it's also uh, quite helpful. Uh, Proverbs 19, 18 says it this way, Discipline your children while there's hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. How's that for wisdom? How's that for pressure, right? 
You're going to ruin their lives. But there's hope nonetheless, right? And the hope is that we will use some of these disciplined developers that help uh, train and correct driven by love. I can't say that enough, right? That discipline is training and correcting that is driven by love. Because I hope you've discovered in your own life and in your own faith that everything driven by God's love has a good outcome, has a good way forward, and achieves great things for the kingdom. So I'm going to identify only three. There's many more than this, really. Uh, and, and you may or may not agree with these things, but I believe they're tremendously helpful to develop discipline that has positive impact and is driven by love. The first one is simply called, think of the long haul. And this, of course, goes directly against in the moment, right? If we're thinking the long haul, we're thinking about ways that whatever discipline we're going to offer is going to have impact one year, five years, ten years from now. It's not just going to nip it in the bud. It's not just going to create punitive damage. It's going to have a, a trajectory that pushes out. Kimmel in the book says, think in ten-year increments, right? Ten-year increments. So um, if my two-year-old is throwing fits when I leave them at the nursery care worker or in the Sunday school class because of separation anxiety, right? Think in your mind. Don't just say, shut up, kid. That nips it in the bud, right? Maybe. But if I think, what do I want my kid to be doing at age 12, 10 years from now? What can I do to help guide them away from the separation anxiety? Can I offer them some care? Can I maybe explain in a brief way, uh, I'll be back and your teacher's going to help and this will all go well. I begin to help offer them reasoning skills even at a young age because I want to train and correct driven by love. Most of us, myself included, want to just nip it in the bud, cut it out, quit it, right? The long haul helps us to recognize there's something beyond this. Same could be true, for instance, of a 14-year-old who wants to stay up all night long in their bed with their phone, playing games and being on social media and so forth and so on. What would it look like for a 24-year-old to still be doing that? I know there are a few 24-year-olds who are still doing that, but we know that that's not a good thing. We know it's not healthy for our lives. It's not healthy for our minds. It's not good for the betterment of who I am to be on my phone 24-7 all the time, right? So what can I do or say to my 14-year-old who helps them to see what it might be like from here from now? That might be boundaries on the phone, right? No phone, I'm just making stuff up. No phone from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., right? Or, um, and explain why. And, and what that means, right? We look for the long haul. The, the discipline is about teaching and correcting driven by love, right? Never do this out of anger or out of spite or out of in-the-moment thinking, right? Look at the long haul. What do I want to try to achieve uh, in this moment for 10 years from now? I know that this takes more energy. I know that it takes more thought. I know that it won't always nip it in the bud. <laughs> but if indeed discipline is about training and correction driven by love, it's the right thing to do. The second thing is what I just call focus on character, that we're trying to develop our children's character, not stopping bad behavior. 
we clearly want to stop bad behavior, right? I mean, I hope we all agree to that. But that's not the issue at hand. The issue at hand is I want to try to instill in my child through discipline character traits like um, integrity and courage and trustworthiness and kindness. And so when I'm going to discipline my child, what is it I can do that will help instill these characteristics rather than simply a punitive outcome, right? And, and this becomes important that we use it as, a, as, a behave, as a, um, an instruction opportunity and with the possibility of pardon, right? Because there's nothing worse as a child or a teenager thinking or believing that whatever you just did is an eternal, forever condemnation. In other words, there's no way out. I have completely messed up because of what my parents said or what the punishment was or, or whatever they did to inflict harm or damage or, you know, uh, uh, consequences. There's nothing worse than feeling like I can't overcome. Our God and our belief is based on second and third and 15th and 25th and 1,000th chances, right? And so part of this is it's not always strictly about the behavior. It's about developing them into personhood and the very character of their being, right? And then finally, I'll stop with this. Always, always, always avoid shame. It is a natural inclination, particularly in the moment, to castigate and to call out and to and to cause harm sometimes because we're in the moment. And we tend to make our children or our teenagers um, feel as though as a human being they have just become worthless by what they did. That's shame. Now look, this would be a whole worship series. Uh, Brene Brown has written scores of books on this whole topic. Uh, we can't spend a whole lot of time here, but the basic delineator is this. Shame is about the person you are a liar. Guilt, which is nothing wrong with and is in the Bible quite a bit, guilt is about uh, action or, or behaviors, right? You have lied to me. You see the difference? The behavior is the problem. And we never want to say or even intimate to our children, you're the problem, but rather the behavior is the problem, right? The action is the concern. And so we've got to turn it away from the personhood to uh, the action or the, or the behavior, right? And ages vary on this. Um, golly, a, a toddler always wants things, right? They want their toy or they want this space or they want to be the line leader, right? They want things. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and so the consequences in this discipline that, tra that trains and corrects uh, driven by love is to help them see that they can't always be the line leader and they can't always have every toy, and so if they've been misbehaving, we can remove the toy or we can remove the opportunity and then help them to see why that is, right? Now, teenagers, uh, golly, teenagers like things, right? Like phones or access to things. And so, um, but they're driven by something else. They're not driven by possessions. They're driven by motivation. How can I get this and why is it worthy of my attention, right? So a uh, 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 disciplinary action for behavior might be we remove a phone, right? But we don't just remove the phone because it's motivating when I have my phone, but it's not simply and purely motivating to just remove the phone for a period of time. 
but rather to have them take action on why it is they did what they did so that they can learn, so that they can discover, so that they can understand why this is not good behavior. This is character building, right? So there's a consequence and there ought to be an action for teenagers so that they understand why this is not helpful. All of this are disciplined developers. They help us mete out this powerful gift of training and correction that's always driven by love. I love the way the uh, psalmist put it in Psalm uh, 94. He just said, joyful are those who have discipline of the Lord, those who are taught and instructed by God. I know for a fact in my own life, and I can only assume in yours, that discipline can be a struggle, that it kind of takes up uh, the air out of the room every once in a while. But golly, Scripture points to us to powerful ways to use it in positive ways to train up, to build greater character, and to offer second chances and possibilities for betterment. That's the gift. And it also provides an opportunity to depend on God for those points that we don't fully get and where we know we've messed up and we need a Savior, right? That's the gift of this discipline that creates training and correction driven by love. My prayer for all of us is that we will get better at this, that we'll help our children and our grandchildren grow up in God's favor, and that we'll help them to know that without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what they've done or when they've done it, there will be consequences. And they are loved. That's so important. May it be so for each of us in all that we do. Will you pray with me? Holy and good God, thank you for the opportunity to be disciplined by you so that our relationship with you through Jesus can be grown and developed nurtured and strengthened. Help us also, God, to apply that to our family lives, to understand that discipline is a positive and helpful thing, that it helps us to grow and stretch and become even stronger and healthier and better. God, may we as parents or grandparents or even aunts and uncles recognize the power of this discipline, that it might guide us into richer relationships with each other and certainly with you. God, help us to move our children from dependence on us to full dependence on you. God, this is our prayer. And we lift it in the name of Jesus, who holds us and loves us every single day. In his name we now pray. Amen.